This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. So we're joined today uh, by Dr. Karen Barber, who is a dancer and choreographer and director and academic and lecturer and all manner of awesome things uh, in the Waikato dance scene. Um, Karen, tell us about where you first kind of got your start as a dancer. Well, that's a good question, Jeremy. Uh, my mum would probably say rocking in a little rocking toy thing that I used to sit in as a kid in time with the agitator washing machine. <laughs> um, so she would probably say that that's what she first observed as a tendency to move <laughs> to rhythm. Um, but I guess I think that the most important thing for me was actually seeing Lim's Dance Company in Tequiti um, as a, I think, eight or nine-year-old. Okay. And they were doing regional tours to small centres, to cultural centres, and I went to see them perform live, and it completely blew my mind. I was absolutely in raptures over it. And at the time I was doing a little bit of ballet and doing gymnastics, and there weren't very many opportunities where I grew up in Pio Pio. Uh, but I loved what I saw with limbs, and so I went to holiday programmes as a teenager in Auckland with their, in their studio community programme. And that's really what, that was really the beginning for me for thinking about modern and contemporary dance. And it uh, took me quite a long time to get to professional training. Uh, I went to university first and did other things, but um, I then trained in Auckland in professional, as a professional in contemporary dance. Wow, okay. And who did you train with? Um, well, it was the School of Performing and Screen Arts, uh, sorry, the School of Performing Arts then, um, and it's now the Unitech School of Performing and Screen Arts degree. Uh, and when I did it, it was a contemporary dance two-year programme. <clears throat> so it's evolved quite a lot since then. Uh, and it was an exciting time, um, exciting time to be studying full-time. We had amazing teachers and a really strong focus on developing New Zealand choreographers, which I was really excited about. Uh, so that's that sort of was a, a development, I guess, of my passion for that type of dance and um, focused out of Auckland, teachers who were working out of Auckland. And so the kind of early stage of your career was all based in the Upper North Island and around Auckland? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've mostly lived in Waikato and spent a few years living in Auckland as well. So very much based in this part of the world. Yeah. And how did you find moving from Auckland, which has, I imagine, got a very developed contemporary dance scene, to the Waikato? 
That was quite a challenge, actually. Uh, I, I went overseas for a little bit uh, and did some travelling and came back to Waikato, actually, to start PhD. And I thought I would keep my connections going with the Auckland community, and I did do a few projects with them. But as I sort of settled here, I noticed that phenomenon of uh, people being very Auckland-centric in Auckland, um, that's a nice way to put it, right? <laughs> uh, well, it's a very, it's a very big, busy city, and it takes quite a long way in the tra a long time in the traffic to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. So I noticed that no one really came down to work here, and decided that uh, what I really needed to focus on was building a community here. So that's what I've really been doing for twenty odd years now, and it's been slow. And there's been many times I've missed having a community of professional artists here. But there are uh, lots of enthusiastic young people, there are lots of community artists, and there are a few of us scattered through the region who are really passionate about professional work. Yeah. Great. And so when, I mean, so part of your work is with um, community dancers and part of it's with professional dancers, and you're doing projects that kind of combine those two levels of, of practitioner together. What's the thought process behind that as a way of enabling community? It's a, um, it's a good thing to talk about, actually. Uh, and I should also add, of course, quite a lot of my work is around working with tertiary students too. So uh, there's three groups that I feel like I'm constantly working with in between. In terms of um, building community and working across um, people's different interests. This can be really challenging, but I think it also is something that's very suited to what dance and choreography um, offer or can enable. So choreography for me and dance in general are really social acts, really social processes. <clears throat> While I suppose there are some people who go to the studio on their own and make up entire choreographies in their own body and then require everyone to learn it, that's not the experience I've had with most of the people I've worked with and it's not how I work either. It's very much a social process, which means that you develop skills of collaborating and working with people where they're at. So whether they're a professionally trained, experienced artist or a community dancer with great passion and perhaps a little less training or a student who's still obsessed with perfecting skills or a student who's really engaged in critical thinking. Uh, there's ways of working across that range uh, and I think choreography is a way to do that or helps, helps me to do that. And I suppose I also am not a choreographer that's focused on working within a technical vocabulary in the way that perhaps we might think of a ballet choreographer working. So I work within a contemporary dance uh, vocabulary, which is often quite esoteric and unique and, and very much works with who the dancers are. So my ethics, I suppose, are around working with who people are as opposed to working with a form, if mm. that makes any sense. So your yeah. role is, uh, would you describe that as a facilitator more than, or and a director? Like, so I'm just sort of, because that sounds really interesting, that community, mm. Um, work you do so it's about working with the people who are there understanding their strengths but they're bringing ideas into it as well 
Absolutely. I think um, my experience in working in professional contemporary dance has been that most choreographers work in quite a collaborative way anyway, what other people might call a collaborative way. So there's a little bit of a discussion about authorship. Uh, and in some art forms, I think people are a lot more assertive about individual authorship or um, it's, it, perhaps it's a little clear cut. <clears throat> so I think while there's certainly facilitation collaborator aspects of what I do, there are also ways in which uh, choreographers to take responsibility for decision making but develop ideas collaboratively. So I suppose a little bit like a band with a songwriter in it perhaps or you know, I'm trying to think about a, um, an analogy. Yeah, that, ma that makes sense. So you, uh, with that analogy, you'd be writing the songs, but then the drummer might say, oh, what if I do this little bit, you know, that I'm really mm. into, or, you know, that, that's, mm. and they bring a bit of themselves to it, but you're still um, ultimately um, directing where that goes and what the outcome is. Yeah, I think um, people, in my experience, people work across a whole range of uh, the kind of really traditional model, which uh, we might think of as having a really dictatorial choreographer or director who requires this to be done in this way mm -hmm. um, and, and simply wants the performers to do their absolute best to interpret their vision. So that's sort of one model all the way through to a fully collaborative group process where everyone shares the project. And I think um, I've been really interested in exploring that spectrum. I, I probably never go into the dictatorial approach, um, but I have worked fully collaboratively. And I think as an academic where we, um, because I'm also working as an academic and a lot of my research is, um, my dance work is research too, we do have a sort of expectation around authorship when we're talking about artistic research. So somewhere across that wide range, across that spectrum, somewhere in the middle there is where I sort of sit with a tendency to be more collaborative than dictatorial. And I guess you have to value your experience and knowledge in the process as well, right? So mm. I imagine on that one end of the spectrum, if you handed it fully over to community to go, go for it, do whatever you want, it's all fine, then you don't actually, they don't actually get the benefit of your expertise a, as a professional, as a you know, mm. practitioner to guide that process as well? Yes, I suppose that's true. I think it, it might depend on... Uh, how how projects start. So if a community group initiates something that they want and brings someone in, then you might want to work fully collaboratively because it's their initiative. Um, or if it's something that I'm working with members of a community in, then they might be more seeking that sort of um, extension or you know seeking to gain more from whatever expertise they might think that I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this this idea of authorship is really, really interesting in this kind of um, contemporary context where there's so many interesting artists doing things where they're opening up their work for remixing and and um, reinterpretations and uh, adaptations. Yeah, so there's a lot going on and it's, it's no longer for me uh, simply a process of one person in control and other people executing a vision for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, in terms of the outputs that you're looking for, or the outcomes, um, is it all about dance when you're doing the community stuff, or is it about community building, or are, are you, do you, is it a way for community to explore 
other ideas, but just through the language of dance? Um, all of the above, probably. Right. <laughs> Bingo. Uh, <laughs> I am really, really interested in community building, and as I said, you know, one of my realizations in, in leaving uh, the professional context of Auckland City contemporary dance was that I needed to think about ways of building community here. And uh, that has resulted in um, us setting up a charitable trust as a structure rather than a company kind of structure and uh, developing a mission that is about educating people through dance. So across uh, classes and workshops to performances and for me too, I'm particularly interested in working across generations. So I am really interested in working with older people in dance as well, because uh, dance tends to be a little bit ageist. Certainly performance dance tends to be a bit ageist. Certainly Western performance dance is very ageist. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that is that can be quite challenging to do. So we find it very challenging to sustain children's contemporary and creative dance classes in Hamilton. Um, there are many, many, many opportunities for children to do dance in Hamilton. And of course, uh, contemporary and creative dance is a little bit more unusual and the kinds of expectations parents might have of what they see as relevant for their kids or what they think dance is may be a bit different from ours. <laughs> um, so... So long term, there are better examples of building community um, in, in smaller centres, I think. So two of, two of our trustees have um, amazing programmes going in uh, Raglan, Whaingaroa Youth Movement, and um, in uh, Paeroa Contemporary Dance. And those are a little easier to sustain in smaller communities, I think, where there isn't so much competition. I like the idea of working uh, across a broad range of people interested in dance, though. Awesome. And thinking about your projects, I mean, we've talked a, a little bit about the, the process or the methodology for it, but I'm wondering, are there kind of central thematic ideas that you're exploring through, process, through projects over a longer period, or do they tend to be kind of distinct things that sit depending on what the community needs are at that time? Um, I think it's a bit of both. If I think about m my interests as a choreographer, I always have questions and concerns. And when I work with a group of people, professional students, community, a mixture of people, um, how they relate to that question takes what we make in different directions. For me, I'm really interested in our relationship to place and in the idea of sustainability. And that's been over a long time. And I think sustainability is something I'm interested in more in terms of process, in terms of the experiences that we have in the creative process and how we work together in ways that don't totally exhaust and emotionally deplete us, but uh, allow us to sustain relationships. I ha have certainly um, found myself and had experiences where creative process can uh, be really exhausting and at the end of it, relationships fall apart and friendships fall apart and 
uh, becomes quite quite difficult to sustain over time. And so if community building is part of the overall agenda, then I feel you need to create a process that is uh, robust enough and gentle enough and um, ethically sound so that you can keep working together. So sustainability in the creative process is something I'm really interested in that does relate to community development agendas. Um, but relationship to place and I suppose the other really central thing I'm interested in is, um, well, I guess there's a couple. I'm always interested in feminist agendas and women's lived experiences, so I often start from what are our lived experiences of this particular moment, um, particular issue. Uh, <clears throat> and touch is really important. So dance is a medium that lends itself well to working with touch and this is a particular era at the moment where I had a realisation, as a lot of us did about a lot of things, um, but a particular realisation that I didn't know how I would begin choreographing if I couldn't use touch. And of course mm -hmm. we're in a time with COVID where we, where we, we weren't able to, to have any physical contact with people. So um, touch is quite central and I think our perception of the significance of touch as something dance can help change or shift or reveal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so place, touch and sort of sustainable process, I guess. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's, it's so nice to hear people talk about sustainable practice because what I feel more and more is that there's this sort of, there's this expectation of hyper productivity. You know, you mm. meant to, someone asks you, if you're busy, you're meant to say, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, like flat out and, um, you know, we're meant to be posting stuff all the time online and stuff. So when people are actually kind of stand back and go, oh, actually, how do we make this work for everyone? Not just sort of, you know, immediate kind of push, but maybe, yeah, how, mm. how is this actually sustainable for all the people involved? Mm. Mm. So that, I mean, that creates some real challenges. I certainly don't work in the way that companies do, so I've never been able to either have quite enough funding or be able to coordinate so that we could work a full week rehearsing on a particular project. So we're always working around people's other jobs and trying to schedule rehearsals so that people aren't losing income from their full-time or their main job. And I also um, have always had a commitment to paying dancers because so much of the arts world in general, but um, dance in particular, is really un underfunded. Mm. And dancers work really hard on all levels. <laughs> uh, so that's part of that sort of sustainability agenda is um, to make sure that the people that I'm working with can manage their lives and, um, and earn from the work that they're doing too. Um, and the other thing I do is offer free classes through the campus environment, which is something that's um, kind of relatively unusual in the world to offer free anything, right? <laughs> um, but in terms of the campus environment, it's something I'm able to do because I'm a staff member, so I can offer my services to the community as part of what I do. Mm, that's great. So what... Um for a, uh, someone who's ignorant like me, what, what would the process be? You know, you talked about um, exploring ideas that might be topical at the moment or you might have some ongoing um, questions um, or areas that you like exploring. How does that then 
shift from from a, an idea in the head to movement in the body? How, how does that process begin? And can you talk us through that a, a bit? Yes. Um, so there's some similarities for me in this um, process with um, research in general and, and any type of creative creative process that we might have. So I think we go through, certainly I go through phases where I'm um, mulling over an idea and collecting kind of an, uh, almost gathering a random set of influences that might contribute. Things that I pick up might be music I hear or a poem or a piece of text I'm reading and um, once I get a few things assembled together I start to collate and then might go off and do specific searches for things that I'm looking for. So it's a period of time of just mulling things over and collecting bits and pieces that might be relevant. Um, and at some point I'll have some sort of question or task that I'll begin the process with and sometimes I'll work myself in the studio for a little bit, not necessarily with the intention of making a whole lot of stuff to put on to people, um, but generating some ideas. And then I'll work with, when I can first work with people, I'll go in and set tasks, creative tasks. So it might be a question about something that we're exploring. So it might be easiest to give an example. Um, <clears throat> and I said go into the studio, but often I'm doing sight dance, so I may well be going actually out into a sight or environment. So I've done lots of work for the Hamilton Gardens Arts Festival, as you know, and um, one of the processes that I'd have there is to go and spend time in the particular place that we're going to work in and we might start by observing um, <clears throat> what movement we see in that particular place. So it might be visitors to the garden, might just spend some time looking at where kids go, what people do, where they stop, what they talk about, what their movement's like. Um, but it also might be the shift of the sun and the shade areas and the movement of all sorts of insects and plants and things. And from that a question um, or a, an, a particular task might arise to take something that's of particular uh, interest or fascination and then to create movement in response to that. So that's the part that people who aren't dancers kind of go, oh, what do you mean create movement in response? But that's, that's what dancers... That's the work of dancers, is to, um, is to respond to a provocation through movement mm. um, in the same way that perhaps you might respond through sketching or I'm not sure how your creative process starts, Paul, whether it starts with sketching or computer. Yeah, very. I mean, yeah. I think very similar, actually. Like yeah. I think I could probably swap out a whole lot of those words for yeah. visual arts words and it would yeah. still apply to what I yeah. do. And um, it's probably true for Jeremy as well, yeah. right, with music. Yeah, um, but it, but it is interesting to hear that talked about in in different genres. Um, I agree, and I think you know, but that's what I said. I think there's some relationship in the processes that we go through creatively, um, regardless of what medium we're working in. So I dabble in a little bit of painting, and I don't say that pretending to be a great artist at all. I just play with it. But I, the same sort of thing happens for me, and I also write creatively. So the same kind of thing happens. I mull things over. I start collecting sort of ideas and influences, and I come up with some sort of provocation that um, comes out in the medium that I'm working in. Mm. And in this case, it's our bodies. So when I'm working with a group of um, dancers, their responses will, will always be um, diverse and interesting and, and coming from different um, 
things that interest them personally from that. And from that basis, then we start to build a set of um, movement phrases or um, ideas that might then become parts later of the final piece. Mm. So it's often by looking at the environment that that I begin. But sometimes it's music too. I mean, that's the I think that's the thing that most people uh, imagine with dance is that you start with a piece of music in the dance studio. But that's actually not that often how I start these days. Mm, which I think that's really interesting because, you know, mm. like you say, a lot of people think, oh, the, the choreographer finds the piece of music or and then works out, okay, well, I'm going to articulate this music through movement and it gives me... Uh, structure and it gives me time and it gives me rhythm and it mm -hmm. gives me all of these things but yeah I've, certainly in the work that we've done together has been the opposite mm. where it's about movement first and the movement has its own internal rhythm and it has its own structure and it finds its own shape and then the music can be crafted to augment that yeah, absolutely. I think um, sound is really, really important to me, but and, and music is very really important to me. But uh, I have, I, I guess, I have a deep love of all art forms, and so for me, um, my love of dance means that I want to honour where that comes from first. And so there are amazing pieces of music and amazing artworks and and amazing other forms of installation, etc., that I really love. But to make something to that is not always the thing that occurs to me because um, because that's the thing in itself already. And I might have something to say in response to it, but I'm not necessarily going to just try and make something to it, mm -hmm. if that distinction is clear. And when we've worked together, Jeremy, we've had... Um, some quite different starting points. So there might be particular sounds. I remember we've talked about particular sounds that I had in my mind, or maybe even you asked me what kind of sounds I imagined went with it, and I, I was able to talk about particular types of sound that made sense, and some of them were bird sound and you know ordinary environmental sounds from around us, and others were instruments and things like that. Um, I, don't, I don't imagine that I think of music the way you do, um, but sounds are important in, in my thinking. So I think that's, the, that's how one of the ways we've begun in creating something together, right? And I think that why that's the really interesting thing about collaboration is that process of conversation and that process of translating each other's worlds, even mm. though um, a lot of art forms use textural words, um, rough, smooth... Um, hard, soft, these kind of words that can mean totally different things to different art forms, but we all use that same language. And so we can kind of unpack what that means and how that resonates with one another. And I think there's a really interesting process of growth mm. through that. And, I mean, I guess you, you have that already with working with different dancers and each different dancer brings their own interpretation of the prompts that you suggest and um, I, I guess that's where that exper your experience and your um, vision for the, the macro, being able to kind of pull these different threads together and, and, and weave the, mm. the piece, whatever that may be. Yeah, I think um, I always remember 
and this might sound odd, but I always think of Einstein when I think about creativity <clears throat> because he said something about combining things that are unlike <clears throat> that we play with, combining things that we don't normally put together and that's where our creativity comes from. And I think um, for me that was a bit of a... Uh, a realisation that actually sometimes the more diverse things are, the more difference there is between things, the more interesting things happen when you put them together. And um, I guess that's one reason I like working with different types of, of performers, different types of artists, and why I like collaboration, because new things come that I couldn't imagine on my own when I start to put things together. Also, I'm a little bit conceptual, I suppose that's being an academic, and I like playing with words. Um, but, but it's more about the resonances of words and how they, how they occupy my body as opposed to a, a sort of some other way of thinking. I think it, it's, it sounds like that too for me. It's about where it resonates in my body, where the, where the idea resonates, where the sound resonates, and what that produces for me. Mm. Yeah, that's an obscure answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well when, you know, if you, if you go back to that idea you're saying where um, a lot of people might assume that a dancer would start with a song and then, and then dance to that. Um, I think... When it is more conversational, as, as we're talking about, I think it's also not so much just about translation or mirroring um, the other art form, you know, whether it's dance, music, or any art form, but it's also sometimes when it's contrasting. Absolutely. Or it might be leaving a space in between those. You know, So it's like a complete story is told across the art forms rather than each one trying to do a complete thing. I completely ag agree with that, and I think there are some incredible pieces of music when I've seen people make um, works to it. I, sometimes I wish they hadn't because the, <laughs> you know, the piece is complete in itself, or I've seen a piece of, of dance work that's absolutely brilliant, but for some reason the music isn't doing it for me for whatever reason. Um, so the, the thing that happens when you put things together to create tensions between them or spaces between them or um, really investigate the contrast and things. That, that's what excites me. Just matching or mirroring is not always very satisfying for me. Mm. What you say with um, seeing someone's choreograph to a piece of music and it, and it doesn't feel like it, it hits, do you think that that's partly because the original piece of music was designed as a thing that existed by itself? and this is kind of tacked on the side, where do, th do you feel that things work or s appear to work more coherently when they have been designed, they're, they're created in response to one another, they're created yeah. together, so yes. they're designed to be part of a whole rather than this thing that's already exists and you can just listen to it and oh, I'm going to dance on top of that. Yes, um yeah, I think that's right. Although there are, of course, some exceptions where it's done really, really well. And I think about um, Pina Bausch's work, Rite of Spring. So there are a few different choreographies to that piece of music, Rite mm. of Spring. But hers, um, and hers is certainly not the first. Uh, but there's something really remarkable about that particular choreography, I think. Um, <clears throat> I guess for me personally, I'm more satisfied when things grow together and I think that's something that's really interesting to me about collaboration and that 
I think it works, in my experience, I think it works best when you start together rather than one person saying, can you make this for this? Um, or I've got this dance. Um, so you can have a good response a process of responding to each other. If you know each other, you have a working relationship, I think that can work. But quite often the most satisfying things for me are when the, pro when the piece evolves together mm -hmm. and you create something new together that hasn't um, been before in its own right. Definitely. So, I mean, you just mentioned Rite of Spring. Um, who... Do you or where do you turn to when you're looking for inspiration? Are there are there kind of particular choreographers or dancers that inspire you, or do you find more of your inspiration from other art forms? Um, over the years, I've seen less and less dance. <laughs> uh, now that probably sounds bad, doesn't it? It's partly a factor of living in Waikato, in that we um, don't have as much touring here. And the international festivals are always in the busiest time of academic year, <laughs> either in the end of semester or the um, beginning of semester. Um, but when I've been when I go overseas, I try to see quite a lot. So I sometimes feel I've missed out a bit on some of the um, New Zealand, new New Zealand work. Um, <clears throat> who do I turn to? Um, there are particular choreographers and works that I find really inspiring, but I. Th I think um, possibly it's it's not necessarily other dancers or choreographers' work that is the first thing I tend tend to look at. I actually f uh, like installation and visual art work a lot, uh, and I tend to find myself quite inspired by things I can move around. So I like going to exhibits with installation work. Um, <clears throat> but there's some choreographers I really do like. Pina Bausch is one. Um, Crystal Pipe, Canadian choreographer, is another one who's um, done some really remarkable work. And um, and there are some of my friends and um, peers in, in New Zealand whose work I really love. So, yeah, there's a few few different inspirations. But I tend to, um, I think I tend to look more at other art forms. Great. And... So, if you were to be, are you working on a new project at the moment? And sort of what's the, um, when you're working on a new project, do you have a strict kind of timeline that you're working toward, you've got a date set for a performance and you work backwards, or is it a little bit more free-flowing and once you've got a little bit of um, the process underway, then you kind of lock in performance and things like that? Um, I've always got ideas that are sort of percolating around in the background, uh, but usually it, with dance, because it's a live performance medium, it um, is about a, a performance date and then when you can get dancers to work with. So yes, every project has a performance date in mind and a rehearsal schedule set up around that and kind of calculation about the time I think it might take and the time everybody has available and the complex negotiation of working around everyone's jobs, families, lives, <laughs> child care, dog care, whatever it is, animal feeding, whatever they happen to be needing to do. Um, <clears throat> uh, but, the, but if I'm working on it, if 
film project, so I do make short dance films um, from time to time, and if I'm working on that, it might have quite a different process. So I have got a little film piece that I'm kind of starting work on at the moment, and I hope to show, but later in the year. But um, I'm unsure how it's, <laughs> it's going to evolve. Can, can we talk a little bit about that? Like yeah. the difference between performing for live performance where it is linear in, in conception and, and realisation and presentation, but in film it can be linear and it can be non-linear and you can kind of create and edit and move and change. What is that like for you? Well, it's a process I really love, and I think it's partly because uh, I see editing as choreography. Um, so when I shoot footage for, and I, I'm, mostly this has been solo work that I've done myself, when I shoot that I'm um, not shooting with, I don't work with a storyboard or a um, traditional filmmaking process at all. So I'm not shooting with a particular agenda of what I think it will work with, look like in the end. Um, what I'm doing is working with camera angles I find interesting for the site that I'm in, because I'm always working in a site somewhere out in the environment um, when I do this kind of work. And uh, then I let it sit for a while, and look back at the footage and, and try to allow what I've captured to suggest what could happen with the footage. So this is kind of like a reconceptualization of how traditional filmmaking is done in the sense that I, um, I'm working with video, so I'm not having the, the problem of having to take care with the amount of film you use. And I'm not working with an enormous crew of other people. I'm just working myself, so I have freedom to shoot as much as I want and wherever I want and all of those kinds of things. So then I can sit there and look at what I've got and go, OK, what could I do with this? And then what kind of approach to editing might... Um, reflect or engage with the aesthetic of what I've shot. So the decisions I make about choreography um, are done in the editing process and I can do all sorts of fun things with layering up stuff and um, one of the pieces I made quite a few years ago now with Sasha McLaren from um, Nimbus Media uh, that you did the sound score on, Jeremy, um, we had a whole lot of footage from improvisation. So <clears throat> our challenge was then to find an aesthetic that would work with the footage that we had, and we ended up doing some quite abstract work. And I made two pieces around that time. Um, and the other one, a lot of the footage was actually reflections of movement on the floor and not actually the footage of my whole body moving. <laughs> Because that ended up being the thing that was more interesting that revealed itself out of the footage was actually, at the time, I wasn't paying attention to that because I was thinking as a dancer, I was thinking about the movement I was doing. But the reflections of that movement on the surface were actually fascinating. <laughs> and that's a good example of something that might be kind of hard to get an audience to focus on that. Yeah. If they can see a body moving, we're, we're very much, you know, as humans, yeah. we look at other humans. 
Um, So that's really pushing that kind of media, isn't it? Yeah, um, and another example of that is um, working, uh, I shot some footage in Utah and canyons over there. And when I was scrubbing through the footage and looking at things, I was really entranced by when I went fast, how the clouds moved across the landscape. And so when I was working editing with Louise Hutt, she and I um, decided to actually make use of that and we sped up some of the footage of the sky so that you could see me move and then the clouds blow and the shadows come across the rock and it was it was really really interesting so the kinds of things that you can do in the editing suite are different from what you can do on stage or out in the environment mm. yeah it's hard to speed clouds up in real life <laughs> yeah remarkably <laughs> and also we don't notice the movement of them much in real life that's right you know it's yeah. not until you start to sort of capture things in a different medium that you notice more of what's going on. Mm. And is the editing um, uh, the editing decision sometimes around progressing a narrative, or is it more abstract than that? Uh, I, I guess it's more abstract than that, or more effective than that. Um, I don't that often work with the linear narrative that doesn't mean there's not some kind of story in there somewhere, perhaps, but, um, yeah, I'd say my work is much more about kind of layered affects and experiences than it is about a narrative. Mm, I guess in my head I was thinking maybe thematic kind of narrative rather than linear. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, like, if you've become particularly interested in one aspect of sight, for example whether there's things that could be revealed about that site through editing. Yeah. Um, yes, the theme and variation, I suppose, it would be an, a way to think about. I also quite like um, the idea of assemblage or... Um, I guess assemblage is a kind of a layering, not quite patchwork or pastiche, but sort of assembling different elements so that collectively they add up to give you a sense of a theme or an overall um, response in some way. Uh, And so juxtaposition I find really interesting. I like to work with contrast and I like to layer up and repeat things in a way that... um, Sometimes it's maybe not so sustainable in our bodies. If I was to translate things to the stage or to the site, it might be difficult to do, but we can repeat things and layer things in, mm. in the edit suite. Yeah. So do you, does it sometimes feed back as well? So you'll, you'll make a film and then you'll look at the movement that's in there and, and as you say, you can't in real life layer yourself up, but you might see new movement or ideas that come through, through mm. that filming and editing process that then might be something that you do um, in, in front of an audience? Yes, actually I've had exact. Jeremy's laughing because we've had exactly this experience with one project. So the short film that I just mentioned, um, it's called Lucid, that Jeremy did a score for. Um, we created the edit and we asked you to create a response to it as a, as a collaborator. Um, and then I looked at it and I thought, hold on, I think I could make a stage work out of it. Um, and so I went back to you, Jeremy Wright, and said, could you make a longer version of this? Because yeah, the original film was, what, like five, four, six Four, minutes? five, yeah. six minutes or something, yeah. And then the, the new work was 
20? Yeah, I'm not sure. Like I don't remember, but quite a lot longer. Mm. Um, and the film work had just me in it, but it had um, multiple different size me's. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a psychological kind of piece, um, sort of isolated in a black space, appearing and disappearing. And so I quite liked that idea and worked with three of us as dancers to... Um, to create a new version of that work for the stage. So oftentimes we think, well, we make a stage work and we record it and then we might make an edited version of it. And this time we did it the other way around. And that was quite exciting because it meant choreographically I was thinking about what I'd done in editing to try and choreograph using those same ideas. And, of course... Um, Editing has had a huge influence on the way that choreographers work in terms of the language we talk about and, you know, splicing and all of those sorts of things that we might use as film language and in choreography. But to go back the other way was really fun too. So it's quite hard to do um, dissolves like you might do on screen on stage, but there are interesting ideas you can try and sometimes trying to do an impossible task like dissolve on stage um, reveals something really interesting whether you achieve it or not. Mm. Because it becomes a creative prompt, right? So it might be, even though it might not be the same thing, it's an idea that you can Absolutely. kind of react against. Absolutely. I'm kind of fond of um, setting myself impossible tasks uh, because it's a way of getting out of being stuck, um, but it's also uh, another way of, of coming up with something new, being more creative by putting things that you wouldn't normally do together. So I give myself an impossible task to do something. The st students sometimes find it quite challenging when I give them these kinds of tasks. But it's, it's a way of, of um, shifting habit patterns and, um, and finding something else. Mm. Mm. And do you find the same thing with... I know a lot of creative people use restrictions. You know, sometimes if you've got infinite um, possibilities of what you could do, it's mm. quite hard to choose anything, whereas sometimes restricting really forces mm. creativity. Do you do use that as well? Yeah, I do. I mean, working in a site um, in a particular place or environment sets up restrictions anyway. So uh, that's one way that I work with restrictions. So, for example, if we're working on concrete surfaces, that changes the type of movement you can do straight away. Um, also, I'd add, as I age, my own body creates a whole series of restrictions that I necessarily have to work with. <laughs> Because I can't do things in the way that I might have done before. Mm. Um, but yes, sometimes I deliberately do things. And there's a lot of improvisational work in dance, working particularly with things like that. So I often play a game called, um, which, is, which is a common improvisational task, um, not making up anything new, which is an improvisational thing, which means you can't actually add anything new. You must always vary or slightly develop what has just been done. So if you have a whole lot of people moving in the space and they're all walking, at some point there'll be the smallest variation on walking which will enable a different movement to come in, but you can't make up something radically new. <laughs> mm. um, and you can also do another variation. Oh, there's many of these. Um, where someone comes in and makes a statement, a movement statement, and then what everyone else can do must be in response to that statement in mm. some way. So there's lots of ways of working improvisationally like that that then help um, build possibilities for choreography. Mm. And I imagine working with those, you, you mentioned working with elderly people or with older people, that must be pretty interesting in terms of, you know, I know for myself a lot of dance I've seen is all about 
20-year-old bodies doing kind of amazing things. When you get someone, I guess it's more about, well, what does your body do and how is that interesting rather than yeah. pushing it towards that extreme Absolutely. I think we have a real fascination with athletes and dancers who have extraordinary abilities. I mean, that's why we watch the Olympics and why we watch sport all the time and why why we keep watching dance. And I'm constantly amazed by things that the human body can do. But some of the most amazing things are what the human body can do under great duress, under years of pain, under um, uh, conditions where you're recovering from something debilitating or um, dealing with a, a chronic illness or injury. So I think our bodies are really amazing and it is about dancing with the body that you have and working with the, with the people who are there. So yes, I love to see those incredibly amazing athletic dancers. My body aches a little bit sometimes when I watch. <laughs> There's a whole generation of us with wrecked knees from... Um, doing particular movements in contemporary dance that ruined our knees. <laughs> I hope the new generation has better physios and better osteos and better um, support for their training than we did. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, that does speak to the kind of ageism in professional dance. Uh, and there definitely is a sense that you have a shelf, or you have a particular life as a dancer, which is pretty much to about 30 or so, if you're lucky. Um, but the reality, I think, is that all over the world, people dance at all ages. It's just the professional world is one small little area where we tend to be a bit ageist mm. and ableist. Yeah, because there's some amazing um, mixed ability dance troops as well, right? Doing Absolutely. Very interesting things around. Absolutely. So uh, having a fully functioning human body is not what makes you a dancer. Mm. Um, being a human is what makes you potentially a dancer if you have that desire. So, yeah, I'm, I believe that dance is something that anyone can and should have access to. Mm. Uh, on, I was looking up some stuff online about you. And one of your research interests you talk about is contemporary ethnography. Mm -hmm. Is that something that also appears in your in your dance pieces, as in terms of process, or is that is that more a research topic? Um, yes, I guess uh, there's a nice way that ethnography, which um, is about writing about people and culture, relates to dance, because one of the key things about ethnography is a uh, research method really is about participant observation. It's about being a, a member of a group and um, observing what happens as a participant from the inside of the group. And uh, we as dancers are participants in the world that we live in. We all are as artists. So we're participant observers in a sense. Um, what we do is is function in the world and um, and reflect back, comment, critique and um, respond aesthetically to, to what we see in the world. Um, also, as a, as a research approach, ethnography um, uses a lot of interviewing. Interviewing is something that's really interesting, even if we're just talking about in the informal sense of the detailed discussions that we might have in a creative process about how people respond to things. So I much prefer to work with dancers who are able to articulate what they're experiencing than ones who um, only move because sometimes we express things well in words and sometimes we express things well in movement and we kind of need both. 
or at least I do as a choreographer. I like both. <laughs> I'm perhaps more wordy than a lot of choreographers, though. Yeah, so there's a, there's a nice relationship between research for me and the kind of dance work that I do in ethnography, thinking about culture and our role as reflecting and critiquing culture is part of that. And so thinking about responses to work, have you had any particularly memorable or impactful responses to your work that you've presented? I've had some quite funny ones. Um, <laughs> I've had some really beautiful responses. I've had some sort of cutting ones. Um, I think the responses that have moved me the most have been women who've um, done karanga as a response to performance work, um, who've been moved to respond. Um, I was once described as statuesque, which I thought was quite hilarious because it's statuesque sort of suggests well tall which is reasonably accurate but also someone who's still in a pose which is not, <laughs> not really me So um, we're coming to the end of our time here and I just wondered is reflecting on your career, your um, work as a choreographer, your work as a dancer is there anything that you know now or that you think about now that you wish you knew when you were first starting out in those courses in Auckland? Is there any kind of realisation about choreography or about creative practice or about art in general that that you kind of wish you knew at that point? Look after your knees. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a that's a good thing to think about. Um, I suppose as a young person, my idea about what a successful dancer was uh, was all about dancing in a professional company for a well-known choreographer. That was what I thought the mark of success was. Now I think it's being able to sustain creative activity in some form or other. And that doesn't matter whether that's making films or whether it's working in community projects or whether it's teaching or whether it's dancing in your backyard or whether it's performing in festivals. So I think figuring out that is really important because as someone who considers myself probably first and foremost a dancer, um, my well-being is really tied to being able to be a dancer, to being able to move and express myself in some way. So because it's quite a social art form, if I relied on being in a company or being employed by someone to be a dancer and wasn't able to do that, I think it would be quite difficult um, mentally in terms of well-being. Mm. So, yeah, figuring out some way to sustain a, a creative life as a movement-based artist, I think that's the important thing, not whether or not you get the job in the company, because there are very few of those in New Zealand anyway, so it's... a and it might only last for 10 years or at the most, right? It might last for six weeks and then it might mm. last for three months and then it might last for a year and then it might last for six weeks and then you'll be able to work for two years and so on. I feel like um, that's a great message for, for creative people in general is to kind of find your own place of creative happiness because I think in any art form you could probably point to the thing that is meant to be the, the pinnacle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as you say, very few people actually get to do that, and it's it's a limited time gig anyway. Very few people manage to make it stretch over years or even decades. Um, 
But yeah, there's plenty of ways to kind of carve out our own spaces for creativity if we're really conscious about what that is and, and what we want. So I, I feel like that's such a great message to for people I, to think about. Yeah, I absolutely think so. And even in a social art form, um, as opposed to an individual one where you can work more in a studio by yourself, I think there are ways to sustain a, a creative life and and to to move together is the thing that, that um, matters most for me, I think, as a dancer, being able to move with other people. Uh, and I think we all have our, um, our ways of, of searching for that mm. longevity and creative life and doesn't have to be professional employment as an artist. Absolutely. Just before we um, wrap up, any do you want to do, do any plugs for upcoming shows or things that you think are cool or um, online websites, things, any, <laughs> anything you want to plug, this is your chance. <laughs> we do have a show coming up in, um, at the end of September, but we don't have a name or anything yet, so I'm not doing so well at plugging the show. <laughs> but people can find out more on... But people can go to our, um, our websites. Our website is waikatuldance.org. Um, and I'm always contactable at the university. Um, and I think that if you uh, have a little bit of a look, there's some incredible responses from dancers around the world um, to lockdown, and some of them are very, very, very moving. So it's a beautiful piece um, uh, with dancers all over the world called Shouter that's um, circulating around at the moment, and there's a lovely piece by the Netherlands Dance Company performers and there's, there's a number of really beautiful ones talking about people's experience in lockdown. So, yeah, have a look at some of those. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.